Good to see you. Grab your Bibles. Go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. If you've been coming to Mercy Hill Church for any period of time, I don't really feel like what I'm going to tell you this morning is something that we haven't talked about before, that you, you haven't heard before. Um, you know, over the last couple of weeks as we've been uh, kind of reading through the book of Luke, if you're doing the Bible reading plan and, and I've been preaching out of some of those things, I, I've kind of wanted to do this series on, uh, on discipleship. And there's a sense in which we could be literally talking about anything out of the Bible and it's going to fall under the category of discipleship because we are disciples and therefore discipleship isn't just one thing that we do, but it's our, it's our life. Um, and discipleship is, is everything. And so in that sense, um, this, uh, this falls under the category of discipleship. But, but I had my little plan where I wanted to go um, this past week in, in Luke 14 and where Jesus talks about um, counting the cost and taking up your cross. And that just seemed like a good discipleship passage. But I just, there was one verse here in Luke chapter 11 that as I was just doing the Bible reading plan, as I know many of you are, um, and you know, on those little bookmarks that we give you that say, look for a verse. Uh, there was a verse in here in Luke chapter 11 that just, that just jumped out to me, and it just became like a little hook in me this past week, and I just couldn't uh, not talk about it this morning. And so that's what I want to look at. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 uh, through 42. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see Jesus... Um, doing what he does, which is just cutting right through all the mess and all the walls and all the smoke and mirrors and all the fog that we put up sometimes to try to distract from what's really going on inside of us. And he just cuts right to the heart of our uh, idolatry. And, you know, I don't know if you guys saw these things or not. Um, these have been laying out on the connect table for the last couple of weeks. I haven't mentioned them yet, and I, so by way of explanation, but also introduction kind of into this passage, there's a bunch of these laying out on the connect table when you come in, and just to explain this briefly, what these are, we, we call these our, our values. Um, think of values as kind of, a, kind of a bridge between doctrine and our life. And so you've got orthodoxy, what you believe, and orthopraxy. And as Christians, we believe those need to be in harmony. We don't wanna say we believe something and then live contrary to what we believe. And so think of values as kind of a bridge to help kind of bridge that gap between what we believe um, and the way that, that, that we want to live. These are built upon um, doctrine. They're built upon orthodoxy and truth and hopefully, you know, kind of, again, helping bridge that gap between what we believe and, and the way that we live. And so there's, uh, there's six what we call kind of vertical values and six horizontal values. The vertical ones are kind of... Uh, um, they're about us and God and our relationship with him and the horizontal ones are about us and the way that we relate to each other. And this is built off of the great commandment that Jesus said, um, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what this is. And I encourage you to pick one of these up and just uh, look over this. We used to do a thing a couple years ago called the gospel class. You guys remember the gospel class? How many of you ever came to the gospel class about when we had the other, when we had the other hub down in Sugar Creek? Um, and we used to go over these once a month and, and just talk about them and kind of have a little Bible study and discussion over them. And so anyway, but in the first part of this here, in the little introduction, if you grab one of these afterwards, it just, there's a couple paragraphs that just explain the point of these values. And I just want to read a little bit of, bit of it quickly. Um, 
It says what we value determines what we pursue, and what we pursue will determine where we end up. Many times we end up somewhere we didn't intend because we never realized that we were valuing things that really weren't worthy of being valued. When Christ comes into our lives, he goes to work in our hearts, leading us to lay aside things that are not worthy of our time, energy, and affection. He does this because he loves us. And as we allow him to change our hearts, we will learn to value what he values, and we will end up where he ended up, with a life of worship that brings honor and glory to God. So, just that little phrase in there that when Christ comes into our lives, he goes to work on our hearts, going after what we value and tearing down things that we don't need to value and shouldn't value and trying to replace it with things that we should value, the things that, that he values. And that's what we see in this, in this text today um, uh, is Jesus going after the heart and uh, seeking to replace worthless values with what really is valuable. Um, And so here's what I want to do. I just want to kind of walk through this this morning. I know I haven't read the text yet like I usually do, but I'm just going to kind of let it unfold this morning. Um, And this brief little scene here, it's in uh, a Pharisee's house who asks him over for dinner, as we'll soon see. And this little scene kind of unfolds uh, in three little sections, and that is that you see a missed opportunity And there's a missed opportunity because of misplaced priorities. And then in the light of that, you see a merciful offer. So you've got a missed opportunity because of of misplaced priorities that is met with a merciful offer. And so let's just look at it together, let it unfold, and I'm going to make a few comments along the way. First of all, missed opportunity here. Verse 37 of Luke chapter 11 says, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee, asked him to dine with him, and so he went in with him and reclined at table. What an unbelievable opportunity. Today, after church, you have Jesus come to your house for lunch. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what this guy has. Jesus goes in and reclines with him at table, and and to recline and table at that day, to have table fellowship, was kind of like the pinnacle of relational kind of oneness and intimacy. This is why the Pharisees and different religious leaders at times would get so mad that Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners, with tax collectors and sinners, because he, he, was, he was accepting them. He was willing to dine with them, commune with, with them, to have a real personal, intimate relationship with them. And here he's willing to do that with this Pharisee. What an unbelievable opportunity. Can you imagine if Jesus came to your house for dinner today, what you could learn, the questions you could ask, um, what you would be able to listen to, probably grow and, and even get healing as Jesus had been doing over and over and over again um, throughout the, the story of Luke. But that's not what happens. <laughs> that's not what this guy gets. He misses this unbelievable opportunity. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, but he didn't eat at everybody's house. He didn't eat at everybody's house, but he eats at this guy's house, and he misses it. Verse 38, (laughs) you've got Jesus chilling at your dining room table. In verse 38, 
And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. What? 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 You've got Jesus sitting at your table. <laughs> and you're amazed that he didn't wash. Now, now, just let me unpack this a little bit because this wasn't about hygiene, okay? It wasn't about, you know, the spread of some disease, okay? And Jesus just didn't, uh, you know, use the hand sanitizer the way that he should have. This was, this was about ceremonial cleanliness. The Pharisees uh, thought if some rules are good, more rules are better. And so they had rules for their rules for their rules for their rules. And so it was literally um, in some of the uh, uh, writings of the, that extra biblical writings that are handed down, it's, it actually talks about how much water you were to use and it was to be not more than one and a half eggshells worth. So that's kind of the way that, so I don't know, like a little half cup, maybe three-fourth cup, maybe, I don't know. And they would take this water and they were to start on the top of the fingertips and then you had to go like, go like this and let it run down over the wrists. And this was to uh, ceremonial, ceremonially cleanse yourself in case you had been out at the market and had maybe come in contact with a Gentile or, or um, some sort of a sinner or somebody that had maybe touched something that was unclean so that you yourself would not become clean. And the Pharisees made a big deal about this because they wanted everybody to see outwardly when they would go through this ceremony how committed they were to being clean before God. And Jesus just doesn't, he just doesn't care about their value system <laughs> in regards to this outward cleanliness because it doesn't actually do anything, anything and, it's, and it's all for show. And so again, when I talk about this missed opportunity, you, you've got this guy here that highly religious, Jesus, and again, just notice Jesus is willing to come in and eat with him, and yet he misses it because he has a value system that is different from the value system of Jesus. Don't miss this, folks. Is that if we value things that Jesus doesn't ultimately value, we're going to miss him. And even though the Pharisee was in close proximity to him, just because you're in proximity doesn't mean that you have intimacy. And this is what's so tragic about man-made religiosity, is that you, you, you come to church, you know, you do all the Christian things, whatever that might be, and the list goes on and on and on, and it's slightly different for you know, each one of us and maybe each tradition and church and different things like that. And so it seems like you're close. You're in, you're in proximity, like you're around the church, you're coming to service, and yet even though you're within proximity, there's no intimacy. This guy, even though he's sitting down with Jesus, the God-man in the flesh across the table from him, he, there's no intimacy there. He's, he's far from him. And so he misses this opportunity uh, to be with Jesus. And Jesus will not submit himself to our value systems, but his disciples, he is Lord of our lives, and we must submit ourselves to his value system. And so, secondly, the, the story goes on here, and the reason he misses this opportunity is because he has misplaced priorities. Again, this value system, and, and namely for him, specifically in the group of the Pharisees, it was because they valued the outside rather than the inside. And so here, verse 39, you see Jesus just cutting right to the heart of the real issue, which he always does in our lives, amen? 
Listen, we may play, can I tell you something? We may play games, Jesus doesn't. Amen? That's, that's really good news. That's really good news. Because your life, the Bible says, is like a vapor. That right there, that was a gift. The one you just took was a gift. And one day, you're going to take it for the last time. You're going to go, it's probably not a big one like that, but maybe a shallow one. Maybe, I don't know. Um, And then you're going to take your next breath in eternity. And Jesus doesn't want us to waste the time that we have here. And so he loves us enough to not play games with us and to cut to the heart of our idolatry that lives within us. And so verse 39, and and the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So again, he'd been talking about, you know, the issue here was that he didn't wash his hands right in the way the Pharisee wanted. And so, uh, you know, the Pharisees had other rules that, that tie in here, and Jesus is using this as a, as a metaphor where they would also, you know, wash the utensils very meticulously before they, they ate from them. Again, not because of hygiene but because of, uh, or, or germs, but because of uh, ceremonial cleanliness. And now Jesus is kind of using this, this imagery to describe them. And he's saying, like, like you, you are this cup. <laughs> that you, just like you're worried about these cups, you're, you're worried about yourself. You're like a cup, and, and you want to cleanse the outside, but that's not doing any good. You Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. So the misplaced priority here is he is, the Pharisee puts high priority, high value on the outside. But that is not what God is concerned with. God is concerned with the inside. And let me say something here because, you know, we talk a lot here about, about root and fruit and how if the root is good, Jesus said make the tree good and the fruit will be good. If you've got bad fruit, then you've got a bad tree. And so we talk about root and fruit a lot. And if you've got your root in the gospel, then it's going to bear good fruit. So it should, you know, that you do want to, uh, if you've got your root in the gospel, in your image in Christ, then it should bear the fruit of walking away from sin and uh, not pursuing things uh, that are vile or, or that the Bible um, explicitly commands as evil. It should uh, uh, bear good fruit in terms of generosity and love and kindness and laying down your life for your neighbor. But <clears throat> just a little note here is that even though we do want the good root to bear good fruit, there is a way to do things outwardly that is not the cause of having a good root, but it's actually a, a, a deception. It's, it's a disguise. It's like I said earlier, it's smoke and mirrors to make people think that the root is good when in fact the root is bad. And there's a way to do things outwardly that makes us look very spiritual, and yet we're not. And this is what the Pharisees were doing over and over, and they were extremely intense about it and meticulous. If you'll jump down to verse 42 just quickly, Jesus says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. They were tithing on their spices. Huh? I don't even have a grid for what that means. I mean, back in the day, you know, like they did have, um, you know, money, coins, denarii, but it was also more of a commodities-based system. And so you would trade, you know, different things at the market or whatever. And they, they would tithe, they would give of their spices. You can't get much more meticulous than that. Yet Jesus says um, that the outside is not what he's 
concerned with. I, I, I think maybe I shared this story with you guys before, but a couple of years ago, um, Hannah and I were looking for a new car, and so we had narrowed it down to uh, about three different makes and models that we kind of liked and were, you know, looking at. And uh, I found this one car dealership um, that had all three of these. And so I said, let's go there and let's test drive these, uh, you know, these different makes and models and, you know, see which one we like. And every single one of them from the outside on the lot, there was no rust. They were shiny. They were waxed. They looked like they'd been really nicely taken care of. Um, the tires were good, all that stuff. But we get in, and every single one of them had issues. The first one we get in, and it, it, even though it looked really nice on the outside, it smelled like fast food on the inside. And in fact, I think our boys found a French fry in the back, in the back seat, and we're like, okay, just no, you know, we're not, we're not doing that. We get in the other one, you know, we're doing the little thing where we, you know, take it for a test drive, and we drive it down the road, and Hannah drives for a little bit, and then we, you know, stop somewhere and get out and look at it and, you know, try to check it out, and I jump in and drive, drive back or whatever. And as we're driving down the road, there's this, like something on the inside. I was literally, as Hannah was driving, I had my head down on the floor, like in the front seat, like looking, trying to find this little annoying tick. And I just, we, and we couldn't, and we, I, I couldn't find it. So I, I, don't, I don't know what that is, but we're not getting that one. And then we test drive another one, and we go, and it, it, it seems like it's riding okay, but then we stop, and we park, and we know we're going to switch places, and she's going to drive, or I'm going to drive, or whichever one it was. And, and as we sit there, and we have it in park, all of a sudden, you can just feel this thing just shaking. And I, tell, I was like, pop the hood quick. And we get in, and she pops the hood, and the engine is moving back and forth like this, so much that the whole car was, I was like, quick, get it back, you know, I, let's, I don't know if it's going to blow up or what. But, we, but in every single one of them, they look, they look good on the outside, but it was like no care had been given to what was on the inside. And I just wanted to say to the owner of the lot, did you not, did you not think that we were going to test drive it? Like, did you not think that we were, like, did you think we were just going to buy it, you know, on site just by the way that it looked? And while it sounds foolish and, you know, a little crazy, like, why would somebody do that? Guys, I'm convinced that we do that all the time. And Jesus goes on here, verse 40, he says, you, you fools. Now, man, you got Jesus over for dinner. This is not the way you want the dinner to go, Right? <laughs> Jesus, you fools. And he says this, and, and notice, and this is kind of a little side note here um, for those of you that are doing the Bible reading plan and also that are journaling along with that, but one of the questions to help you journal through the passage each day is, um, what does it say about the nature and character of God? And here in verse 40, if I was you know, journaling this, I would say, God is seen here as creator, as creator. In the verse 40, he says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Because God, God is our creator, and he knows us perfectly, perfectly. And see, whenever we minimize the nature and character of God or kind of whittle him down just to a few attributes that we like to deal with, we have created a God in our own image, to the Pharisees, God was the lawgiver. Is God a lawgiver? Yes, absolutely. And he does it for our good. But he's not just the lawgiver. But what they, they had done is they twiddled him down just to the lawgiver. So if we can just keep the law, and, and if some rules are good, that means God likes rules, and so we're going to add even more rules to his rules, and then we'll be even better. 
It's not the way it works. This is why you need to preach and we need to read and study to understand the whole counsel of God so that we can know the full nature and character of God. Because if we don't know him as he is, then we will not worship him as he deserves. Amen? And he says, God made you. This is like Hannah with our boys. Um, I'm telling you, in another life, my wife would have made a sweet detective. I'm telling you, she's like interrogator, at least with our boys. And sometimes they'll try to lie, maybe get out of something. And she'll pull that little, she's like, I carried you in my belly for nine months. I can tell when you're lying. Because they're like, no, we didn't do anything. She's like, I know what you did. Then they weep in repentance. I'm just <laughs> um, But it's the idea of like, like she knows them. Guys, God knows you. He made the outside. He made the inside. Please don't come to church and play games. Because here's the thing. Let me, just, let me just tell you. If you want to fool me, if you want to fool the person sitting next to you, listen to me. You can do it. You absolutely, positively can do it. Yeah? So you can. But you cannot fool God. You cannot fool him. He made the outside and he makes the inside. And so you've got this missed opportunity because of misplaced priorities. And yet, even though Jesus, I, I would admit, is coming across pretty harsh in this passage, and you know, um, he's invited over for dinner, and you're like, Jesus, do you not know that this is, you know, um, not good manners, and he, you know, to call somebody a fool? Um, but even in the midst of the Pharisees' hypocrisy, he is still going to give this unbelievably merciful offer. Unbelievably merciful offer. Verse 41. And then there's some technicality here. I want you to get this. Verse 41, he says, but give as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. Now, here's what's interesting about the phrase, okay? So I read a ton of commentaries on this and dug into the original language and all that. It's kind of a cryptic phrase here. Um, most people think that it was probably some sort of a... Um, uh, cultural colloquialism that he was kind of saying here when he says, give as alms those things that are within. It's, the NASB translated, translates it this way. It says, give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. Um, the NIV here says, but now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor. The word, the word poor is not in the original language at all, but they, they translate it that way because of the word the charity or, 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 or alms. He, here's what he's saying, is, is that he to give alms or to give his charity was to give something voluntarily. It was to go above and beyond what was required, okay? And it was to give kind of like a free will offering. But what is Jesus asking them to give? He's not asking for their money, he's asking for their heart. He says give as alms, give voluntarily and freely those things that are within. Now that's the command, where's this merciful offer? Where's the good news? Look at the promise that he gives if they will do this. Give freely of your soul, give freely of your heart and behold, look, here's the promise. Everything is clean for you. 
Unbelievable. Because if you'll just connect the dots here, and again, when you're studying the scripture, look for words that are kind of like related and repeated. If you're, you know, if you're circling in your Bible, look at verse 41 and say, give those things that are within, circle the word within if you've got an ESV, and then go up to verse 39. What was within the Pharisees? He says on the outside of the cup, you're clean, but inside. So within, and then up in verse 39, inside. What, what was on their inside? What was within them? What did they have to offer? Here's all they had to offer, folks. Greed and wickedness. That's what they could bring to the table, and that's all you and I can bring to the table. But Jesus says, I'll take it. Give it to me. And if you'll give me your heart, behold, everything can be made clean for you. So many of us live our lives like we're running, and we have this, this category of clean and unclean. We, we go here, we don't go here, we can do this, we can't, we can't do that. We act this way, we, we, we don't act this way. And yes, there are things that the Bible says are explicitly sin. Of course, we should not uh, uh, pr- pursue those things. But folks, purity does not come from the outside. Purity is a gift of God that he gives to you when we surrender our hearts to him. And listen, even if you're here this morning, you say, well, yeah, Eric, I've done that. I, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I would, yes, here, here's the theological way to say this. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, then you are absolutely, you're positionally clean. You're positionally clean. But here's what could be happening, is that you, even though you're positionally clean as a Christian, you might be living practically dirty. Because you're not living in transparency and honesty, and you've begun to play a religious game where you think that you can keep up with the outside. And and can I just tell you this? Here's the reason why we focus so much on externals. You ready? This is it. Because it's the one thing that we can control. It's the one thing that we can impact. We love externals because, man, we can change the externals. We can just be disciplined and we can try a little harder and, you know, with our best, you know, white-knuckled grasp, we will just try and and we'll, we'll clean some things up outwardly. But inside, we're completely lacking intimacy even though we're within proximity of God and of the church, and it seems like everything is okay. Folks, don't play that game. Even as over the last couple of weeks we've been talking about discipleship and being a disciple, don't do it. Don't fall into that trap. Because, man, if you find your, once that intimacy with Christ begins to, to wane and, and, and grow weak, um, I, I can't think of anything more miserable than being a lukewarm, uh, religious, game-playing Christian, right? People are like, ah, tra- Christianity's, you know, you guys don't have any fun. If you're playing games, yeah, it stinks. I don't know why anyone would do it. Like, it's not fun to come somewhere and try to pretend, Pretend like you've got it all together or, or to pretend like you have no issues? Who wants to wear a mask all day long? There was no pun intended with that, by the way. With any, <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> we all know what that's like. <clears throat> but that, that's, yeah, that's not fun. That's not, that's not what we want to do. But, but Jesus here offers to clean us, to cleanse us, if we will just offer to him freely what is 
within. But man, it, it, it's all about the condition of our heart and if we'll turn ourselves the right way. Another kind of silly illustration, I guess, but uh, um, one of the discussions, maybe, debates, that takes place in our house sometimes, and you gotta remember, Hannah is a woman living with four boys, five boys, if you include me, which she does sometimes. One of the debates that takes place is that she is trying very hard to train us into how to load the dishwasher. Can I get an amen from any guys out here? Have you ever been rebuked by your wife or not? Okay. I look at it like this, is that it's like a competition, and I wanna see how many objects I can get in the dishwasher, right? So you don't got to do it twice. It's about efficiency, right? And so, you know, 57, yes, new record. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that happens sometimes is like you just pack it in however you can, and maybe like a bowl or something won't be turned the right way. And so, you know, you know, you got the sprayers on the bottom and it sprays up. And so you got to turn the bowls, what? You got to turn them down, right, in the dishwasher. Guys, if you don't know this, this is free advice to you right now. I'm helping you out. But you got to turn the bowls down so that the water will come up and, and hit them and spray them and, and, and get them clean because there's been times where the bowls have been in there, but they've been turned the wrong way. <laughs> and the water's going, you know, the soap is dispensed and, you know, heat cycle, all this different stuff. Got it all, but they come out and they're dirty because they were not turned the right way. And again, I'm just saying the same thing using a different illustration, but guys, it's, it's possible to be so close to God and to his people in one sense, and yet still not have his presence truly cleanse you because you're just not turned the right way. And even though you go through the whole cycle and every other dish comes out clean, you're still dirty. And it's because you've been offering the things that are outside, but you are not willing to offer those things that are inside, right? But guys, that's what he wants. And when I say, because I know I'm speaking in metaphor here, but when I say turn yourself the right way, here's what he wants, humility. God is not impressed with anything that you could possibly offer him. The only thing that he wants over and over and over again is your heart, is your heart. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're here and you don't know if you were to die today where you would spend eternity, I want to tell you something so good, is that it is a free gift. It is offered to you. And it's not just about giving God your afterlife. It's about giving him your life now. And when you know where you're going to spend your afterlife, I promise you it will change everything about your current life. Okay? Here's the thing. Uh, he... he he, there's really nothing you can give him, <laughs> okay? Because sometimes people think, man, I'm just not ready to give, give myself to God because, you know, I, I, I just don't know if I want to, you know, give him, you know, this or that. We start naming these specifics. Like, God, he doesn't need that. Here's what he wants. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And if you do that, he will wash you and he will cleanse you and he will make you clean. And again here, verse 42, that I jumped ahead and referenced earlier, he again says, woe to you Pharisees, 
For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. See, here's the point. They were meticulous. They were meticulous about the outside. But they neglected the inside. Now, now hear me, because I just want to, because I don't, I, I, I kind of doubt that anybody's here this morning and you're meticulously following rules the way the Pharisees were in order to gain a right standing before God, okay? But, but maybe you are, and if you are, that's wrong. Don't do it. <laughs> it's a waste of time. But, but here's what's probably highly more likely is, is, is we've got some stuff, you've got some stuff going on in your heart and in your life and in your soul this morning, but you just, you, you can't get in there and you can't fix it and you're not sure what to do about it, and you feel like you're kind of out of control in your soul. And so what do you go about doing? You're going to control what you can control, which is the outside. And hear me here, because this is not wrong, but I'm just giving you some very practical things that I've seen over the years in my own life and in the lives of others. Sometimes you will be meticulous in your appearance, in the way that you look. You all look very nice, by the way. Fine, nothing wrong with that. Hear me, hear what I'm saying. If you look nice, that is not a sin, okay? That's great. But just think, like, how much time do you spend looking on your appearance and then compare that with how much time you spend talking to God about your heart, right? Or maybe for guys, you know, I mean, we might you know, be about our appearance too, but maybe it's all about you know, earning that extra dollar or getting that next sale or climbing that next rung on the ladder at work. We're focused on the outside because there's some noise going on inside. We know we're not clean. We know we're not healthy, but we can't control that and we're afraid to go there. And so we're just gonna focus on that external and try to shine things up by being successful outwardly. And Jesus says, just, if you would just freely give me that which is within, right? And so, guys, that's, that's what Jesus wants. And again, I, this, was, this was really just kind of like a word to me this past week, even as a pastor, where I can I can be focused on the outward, I can be focused on preparing a good sermon or doing, you know, all the stuff that I do, whatever. But Jesus says, Eric, I want your heart. So I want, I want your heart. And I feel like he asked me this past week, are you willing to give me those things that are within? That's what he wants. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. Solomon says here to his son, this is good wisdom. My son, be attentive to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. See, if you're focused on other things, if you're keeping the outward with all vigilance, you can still grow dead. But the command here is to keep your heart with all vigilance, and then there will be life in every area of your life. But again, as we saw here this morning, the call is not, it's not ultimately for us to even fix that. It's for us to be honest about it and to give it to God.
And such a precious promise, um, just in kind of cross-referencing this idea here that Jesus says, give me that which is within. And he's the one that will make it clean. He'll make everything clean. But 1 John chapter 3 Verses 19 and 20, because as I've said, we, sometimes we don't want to deal with the heart because we know we can't ultimately fix it. And that's true, you can't. First John chapter 3 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, I love this, God is greater than our heart. Isn't that beautiful? Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Amen? Guys, he knows everything about you, everything that's going on inside of you. Worship team, you can come up, and we're going to close. And as we close here, I just want to give you three quick kind of diagnostic questions uh, to help you maybe diagnose the condition of your heart, but then the diagnosis isn't just enough, because again, here in this passage, Jesus diagnoses that they're full of greed and wickedness on the inside, but then he also gives the antidote, and the antidote is always the same. Here's what it is. Give yourself to Jesus. <laughs> or as he says here, give as alms, offer freely that which is within. That's the answer. And number one, this morning as we talked about already, are you settling for proximity rather than intimacy. Are you settling for that? Brothers and sisters, don't settle for that. You don't have to settle. Jesus Christ did not come and die on the cross and rise again on the third day and done everything that he's done in your life so that you could play a religious game. He came and he did all that because he loves you. And the creator of the universe wants an intimate relationship with you. There is nothing that could be better, amen? Don't settle. Don't settle just for being in proximity to God's people rather than having intimate relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't settle for proximity rather than intimacy. Secondly, do you spend a lot of time trying to maintain the outside in order to conceal the inside? Do you spend a lot of time maintaining the outside Okay? And again, please hear me, that's not wrong, whatever the outside might be for you. But are you doing it specifically because you don't want anybody to see what's inside? Sorry to burst your bubble, God sees it. He made the outside and he made the inside. And listen, regardless of what is there, even if, it's, if the inside is full of greed and wickedness like the Pharisees was, he, he says, I'll take that. I'll take that. And I'll make you clean this morning and lastly speaking of intimacy with God and, and the inside does the thought of being totally alone with God make you uncomfortable like if you could just it's just you and him if you're just by yourself total silence alone with God does the thought of that make you uncomfortable? Because I'm convinced that a lot of what drives busyness, especially in the church, is the fact that we, we don't even know really what to do if Jesus would come over to our house for dinner. We'd probably do the thing that Martha did. 
and just be running around and trying to keep ourselves busy and try, trying to please him. When all he wants is your heart. You were made to be with God. Amen? You were made for him, folks. And he loves you. Pray with me. Father, I, I thank you for today. Jesus, I thank you for this incredible, merciful offer. That right now, it doesn't matter what is represented on the inside of each and every human heart that is here this morning. It doesn't matter what it is. You offer them freely to give it to you. And that you will take it and behold, all things will be clean. Father, I pray that we would not play games this morning. I pray that we would not live here, Lord, uh, just working and doing our best and trying our hardest to, con to, to fix up the outside. You know us, you see us, you love us. And Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give each one here this morning the strength to freely offer you, to give as charity, to give as alms those things that are within. And that that would be the most important act of worship that we do today. Not just singing a song, but giving you our hearts. Thanks for loving us, God. Thank you that we get to worship you. Please continue to speak, Lord, to each heart as we sing. For your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen.